When it comes to addiction and recovery, everyone has something in common, a story. My name is Pastor Ed Treat, and I am founder and developer of the Center of Addiction and Faith. I've been in recovery from addiction for 34 years, and I've been a Lutheran pastor for 25 years. Throughout my years as a pastor, I've been frustrated that faith communities have paid little attention to an issue that is very pervasive and impacts so many. Addiction takes many forms, and it's a problem requiring a spiritual solution. I believe that the church could have an enormous impact on addiction if they would begin to learn more and do more. This is the mission of the Center of Addiction and Faith, to awaken faith communities to address addiction. Welcome to my story, Stories of Addiction and Grace. I'm speaking to the Reverend Rich Gelson. Pastor Rich will share his personal life journey with codependency and how the grace of God led him to discover a new way to understand his life and some new ways to relate to those he loves. Pastor Rich is an ordained Presbyterian minister serving as the pastor of Pilgrim Presbyterian Church in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. He's been there since 2015. I'm speaking to him today over Zoom Rich is in his home in New Jersey, and I'm in front of the microphone in the studios of Minnesota Podcasting. I recently got to know Rich through his involvement with the Center of Addiction and Faith, and I'm so grateful he's willing to share his story today. Rich is a new friend of mine. Uh, we just gotten to know each other over the last many months. So we met through the Center of Addiction and Faith and through some of the 12-step meetings. And I invited you to be on the podcast today. So I thank you for being here. And why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, well, wonderful, wonderful to be on and uh, to have this uh, opportunity to chat with you. Uh, I am uh, here in uh, Warren County, New Jersey, and I live in Hunterdon County, New Jersey. Um, which is all north and northwest, um, beautiful, beautiful area by and large. My church uh, that I serve um, is Pilgrim Presbyterian Church in Phillipsburg, uh, which is right across the river from Easton, PA. So, you, you know, we're kind of a last exit. I am from Summit, New Jersey, and I was born in Overlook Hospital there about 20 years after Meryl Streep was born there. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, uh <laughs> yeah, do you guys talk at all? I mean, is there? Oh, we're we're close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's kind of fitting because then, uh, because you know, my my mother and father uh, met in the movie theater in town. So, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> a cinematic theme here. Yeah, there is it. You got a yeah river running through there, so that's yeah, interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I've been an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA for twenty two years mm. now. Um, Did and, you grow up Presbyterian? Uh, I didn't grow up anything. Oh, really? Um, uh, well, yeah. If um, if you'd asked my grandmother who raised me, uh, she would have said Methodist. How I came to be Presbyterian is part of the, the story uh, as we move along, so I'll be happy to fill that in. Okay. So we met, you and I met, um, through some 12-step meetings, and the Center of Addiction and Faith started uh, hosting 12-step meetings that were open to people of all kinds of recovery. Um, just mm -hmm. if you were interested in recovery or you didn't have to be in recovery, but anyway, and uh, a lot of codependency, a lot of addiction, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of uh, people with eating disorders or eating uh, addictions. And so we've primarily been talking about people with uh, substance abuse uh, issues, uh, but that's not your issue, is it? Um, not, not directly. Uh, <laughs> I, I've not had substance use, uh, issues myself. Um, but I was, um, again, born in, in 1969. So, you know, uh, Woodstock, the moon and me. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but my mom at the time was, was 19. She was, uh, well into addictions. Um, her, uh, biological father had also been, uh, an addict, alcoholic, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't know all the details and that might be a good thing. Mm. Um, but she had a very difficult childhood and a very difficult upbringing as a result and, uh, fell right into, um, her own substance, uh, use issues. And so. Any idea what um, she was but, using? Alcohol, pot, all kinds um, of 
Well, I mean, my clearest answer is anytime as a kid that I had anything wrong with me, she said, blame the screwdrivers I was drinking when I was carrying you. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I was 69. So yeah. I know there was a lot of alcohol. There yeah. was probably a lot of uh, a lot of things being smoked uh, yeah. and, and whatnot. I, I don't know beyond that. I just know that I feel very grateful that I was born healthy, um, yeah. you know, because I, I, you know, I would say the odds of, of that are, are, you know, I mean, that's where my call story starts. Yeah, like, right. Well, first of all, I, I came, <laughs> right. out of, came out of the womb, um, you know, with, with enough of me intact. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So my mom was um, very much that my, uh, she married uh, Mr. Gelson, who was uh, uh, several years older um, when she was 18. Uh, but when I came along um, a year later, um, and, and here's where, you know, my mom, unfortunately, you know, doesn't remember much about those days. And her mother, who primarily raised me, um, told me what she wanted me to know. And that's about that. Mm. Uh, so it's always abbreviated. But you know, my understanding is that my Mr. Gelson, uh, whose name I have carried now for 51 years, didn't really believe I was his kid. Huh. You know, which is really? entirely plausible given my mom's uh, deep uh, addictions, plural. I mean, you know, between the drugs, alcohol, and, and men, you know, which, again, was, uh, you know, something yeah. that, that grew out of her pain and trauma in childhood. So my first three years of life were a lot of wherever my mom was and her sister, Carol, who was one year younger, who did a lot to take care of baby Richie. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, stories of, uh, things that were happening in the places where my mom was, uh, you know, drug dens, police raids and wow. all those things. And then, and then baby me. Mm. Um, so, and my grandmother also would, would, you know, rescue me from various situations. And then, um, at one point my mom was arrested and had a choice between rehab or jail, as I understand it. And, um, even though she had gone to court, uh, for custody of me. Uh, I mean, the court awarded her custody of me because mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that was pretty common in the day, despite, you know, my, my grandmother, you know, being a, a safer option. Right. Um, and so, um, they, um, but you know, mom chose to get clean and sober. And so, um, at the age of th around three, I went to live with my grandmother, which, mm. which provided me, uh, you know, stability and shelter and my basic needs. You know, we were a solid middle-class, uh, household yeah. and she was on her second marriage, uh, to the only grandfather I knew who I just called gramp. Yep. And he was a very active alcoholic as well. Uh-huh. So, and my grandmother was just the very model of modern day codependency. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, it was my grandmother and my step-grandfather, uh, and, uh, a lot of, uh, Schlitz and a lot of Schmitz, mm. uh, to this day, I can't hear a can pop without having a little bit of a traumatic response. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Seriously. Well, your um, odds are stacked against you. You should, uh, you should yeah. not have turned out well. But at the same time, you know, it was Summit. Uh, there was a good school system there. There were very, uh, very good, caring uh, teaching professionals who I owe a lot of uh, debt to. Uh, I just, uh, I am so grateful that, you know, for the principals and the teachers and, and, and everybody who was there who had to have known that my home life was, was not good. And uh, so, I mean, you know, I... Uh, I think out the gate, I mean, you know, there was always that question of my legitimacy, you know, not just because of the, 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 the father question, but, you know, my grandfather would, you know, in his, uh, the depths of his disease, um, mm. would be very cruel and vulgar towards my grandmother and my mother and, you know, uh, towards me, you know, mm -hmm. as a result, uh, all very delegitimizing, very, yeah, right. very much, um, not not uh, not affirming uh, my value uh, at all. Um, the good news is, uh, out of that, uh, God blessed me with um, creativity. Um, you know, and and maybe maybe 
Maybe it's just because I was born in the same hospital as Meryl Streep. That's probably know. Maybe, maybe there was maybe there was an extra <laughs> extra something. Yeah, uh, but interesting I didn't go to study either. everybody born at that hospital and see if there's yeah. a yeah really. <laughs> uh, of course, there's also a very prominent uh, drug rehab in in Summit as well. Uh, uh, well maybe <laughs> Mamas and the Papas. Yeah. Oh, really? Shel Phillips has been there. You know, it's um, funny because um, I, I have a theory that people that come out of really challenging circumstances end up being really creative types. Yeah, I definitely fit the uh, the artist uh, kind of profile. And uh, I, from a very early age, knew that I could uh, write poetry. Um, my fourth grade teacher was wonderful. I mean, I think they teach haiku in first grade now, but I had it in fourth grade. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I realized I was onto something when I became the teacher's pet because everyone else was writing about crazy sort of just kid stuff. And I wrote this haiku and I still remember it. It was, dear, dear leaf, please fall. Fall from your beautiful tree. Won't you fall for me? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I mean, I was an old soul. How you know? old? Yeah. How old were you when you wrote that? Fourth grade. Oh, that's I, you really know. good. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that that gift of writing. Um, then um, and then my grandparents would have country music on and Hank Williams and mm. Patsy Cline and all. And I would watch the country music awards on TV and I would see someone up there with the guitar. And I'm like, hey, I don't know why. That's got to be me. Mm. Uh, that's in me. And so when I was 10, they bought me my first uh, guitar, which I promptly tripped over and broke the neck of not too long after and then was told, we'll get you another one, but that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so um, out of that, uh, you know, abusive, emotionally abusive home, I spent a lot of time by myself, you know, sequestered in my room, but I had my writing and I uh, wrote my first song mm. when I was 10 <laughs> wow. uh, called Life in a Fishbowl. It's funny that I remember this, but um, yeah. it was like little plastic men trying to capture me again. I mean, it's, wow. uh, I had a global view. Wow. You know, yeah, well, I just think it's, a, you know, it's like self-therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and just, you know, just uh, music has been uh, just foundational and yeah. creativity in general, very uh, very central to Sounds my Sounds like it saved serenity. you in many ways. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, as I got older, and well, also, um, as I grew up, this is, I, I would spend my summers with my mom. And so I went from Summit, which uh, can, you know, is in large part a very affluent New York City bedroom community. And uh, then I would go and live with my mom and her various uh, boyfriends through the years mm. in in really uh, impoverished sections of uh, Northeast Philadelphia. And so I had this weird suburban urban upbringing, which, you know, is is how I became a diehard Phillies fan. Because what do you do with the kid when he comes to town? You right. take him to the ball. Yeah, game. of course. And um, what was that like for you? I mean, I, did you dread it or did you look forward to being with No, mom? I, I, I could not wait to get out of yeah. Of the abusive house, I could not wait to get out of. Wait, the which town house was that, abusive? Which one? Oh well, my my grandparents' house. That was abusive. Yeah, of grandpa- mom oh, was okay. mom was for the most part in okay. in recovery. Oh, see, now I, I had imagined the opposite that you didn't want to be with mom, but it sounds like mom was a better environment. Well, um, it it was. <sighs> I I liked being out of Summit. Um, nothing against Summit, New Jersey, but I, I was not a kid who had parents and, you, you know, yeah, a family felt like that had stuck. any kind of social standing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everything I saw around me was, was not my life. And, yeah. and you know, you learn to, to hide your, your home life. Uh, it's not like I had friends over and, and things right. like that. So there was, yeah, yeah, I get that. So there was a certain freedom to visiting my mom and um, it was just kind of raw and real. And I liked sitting out on the stoop. People would talk to you and they didn't care who you were, you know. Right. And I came to realize that, you know, people are people, um, you know, socioeconomic differences. But we have the same needs, uh, the same need to be loved, a lot of the same defenses, etc. Mm-hmm. But the coolest part about visiting mom was they had a two store, they, they, uh, her AA club, they had an AA club. Hmm. on Frankfurt Avenue in Philadelphia. 
And it was two story, and we hung out there a lot. Really? And boy, did I meet a cast of characters. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, my heavens. Not to mention all the cards and cigarettes and the dry bar, and I'd work the dry bar, you know. <laughs> so, oh. you want an orange pop? So, you know. <laughs> um, but so there was a lot of diversity there. And mm. I think uh, I was already a little bit, like I said, of an old soul. You know, when I'd leave my house, I'd walk up the street and I was always the kid that was friendly with the neighbors on the porch, you know. So um, I'm very grateful that I, I had those two different sorts of experiences growing up. But yeah, and then with mom, you know, there was there was program and there was no drinking and drugging. I mean, she was still in abusive relationships, um, but, you know, I didn't have to see that during my visits. Right. And um, so, uh, and and I just was less lonely. I mean, that's just there's just more community. Yeah. And mom, you know, tried really hard to uh, to be you know nurturing and and loving and give me the attention. And of course, I I craved that because you know my grandmother was not quite capable of all that. Right. My grandmother was more uh if i'm in my room and i'm pounding the pillow and i'm crying you know more inclined to say what do, what do you have to be upset about but it, it still all led up to one very very angry rage filled non-trusting teenager yeah uh, and so i'm maybe you're getting to this but how is it you didn't pick up alcohol or yeah, drug? yeah. It's, a, it's a very good question the short answer is music uh-huh um, which I know because we know musicians know, don't typically use. Okay, oh, of course not. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I mean, but in a real serious way, I, you know, music was my drug of choice, and I didn't. You know, all I had to do was listen to it and write it and strum it and sing it. Um, hmm. I mean, I I got by ninth grade. I was very much into heavy metal and all, and and my uh, my friends. It was kind of like. Um, you know, the, the socias and the greasers, and we were the greasers, yeah. um, you know, jean jacket, tacky sack playing frisbee, you know, with, with Judas priest blaring, you yeah. know, that was my favorite. I still, I still know more Judas priest lyrics than I might know Bible verses. <laughs> I, I didn't just say that out loud. Did I? Um, but, uh, but it, it was, they're both cathartic. kind of biblical names though. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it was cathartic. Um, all the raging, the mythological stuff that came along, and then mm. just the supreme operatic power vocalist of Judas Priest in particular. Mm. And, and I just, um, it was just cathartic. Um, and I was too angry. Why would I want to uh, do and start doing the very thing that had destroyed lives in, in, of my loved ones, you know, that had short circuited, you know, any chance of that normal, quote unquote, normal nuclear family, you know, for me. Um, but what that meant was it was, it was miserable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was miserable being miserable without any more instant outlet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you must have tried some along the way. I mean, did it have any effect, uh, uh, make you feel, give you any break from I, your pain or... Rage. I, I, I didn't drink any alcohol whatsoever. Really? Even in your though whole my, life my, you've never? Oh, no, no. I, no, I, I have after that. Oh, uh, okay. But in, in high school, um, I smoked cigarettes, and that's uh, it. I never smoked pot. Uh, my friends were experimenting with absolutely everything under the yeah. sun. Um, but um, I didn't need it. If you'd seen me, you would have thought I was under the influence because I could I could rage and rock just uh -huh, right. <laughs> it was it was just very cathartic. Uh -huh. um, so, um, but also very lonely. And by tenth grade, I was a fair bit. Um, I would say tenth grade is when I was gonna it was gonna go one way or another for me. Mm. What really truly saved me and in, in, in terms of uh, saying in terms of one way or another in terms of what what. One, which I was so lonely and so depressed and so convinced that nobody loved me and that I couldn't trust anybody and that everybody was going to betray me. So in my rage, I would I would storm out of the house, throw myself up against trees. I was punching everything. Um, I, you know, I think that would have been, uh, you know, a, a suicidal tendency at some right. point. Okay, well, I just wanted to see if that's what you yeah, meant. If, yeah, if yeah. unchecked. Um, right. But luckily, again, the writing saved me because I was writing poetry for classes. And I don't recall exactly how it came to be, but I got sent to the nurse's office one day. 
and the nurse did some screening. And I suspect it was a teacher who saw some, you know, rage filled concerning things in my poetry mm. who then sent me to the nurse. And then uh, the high school uh, fortunately had a, a, a drug and alcohol counselor in the guidance department. And through uh, the wonderful uh, Nancy Steck there at Summit High School at the time, we were, uh, I was able to uh, find my way to Alateen meetings, which, you know, in, not coincidentally, I think, met in a very small room in Central Presbyterian Church. Really? Uh. And so that was my first introduction and the first time I was ever really in church. I'd maybe popped into a Methodist church up the street here and there, but but I found my serenity. Huh. I found out that I'm not alone. I found out that I am worthy of being loved. I found all that out in a small room in a Presbyterian church. So now Alateen um, is for is for uh, teenage uh, youth who are uh, in alcoholic homes and how to correct. deal with all the, okay so it's a, it's the yeah. right place so for you. That that was the right place and and what it did was it articulated something that I had uh, through the 12 step work and 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 the serenity prayer and a higher power. Um, I had always always had a deeply intuitive sense of a good God. I would lay in my bed as a kid at night uh, with all the trauma. And to me, it was like there was a hand reaching down or a ladder being lowered for me to reach for. Um, so that was like my, I've always had that. And I guess because I wasn't indoctrinated in any kind of particular tradition, I was just intensely spiritual in that way. And so then once I realized that the most impactful way to be spiritual is in community. And that's what I, you know, found in, in Alateen. Along with that, I started seeing a family, you know, a therapist and, and everything. So yeah, well, the sense all, of the sense of not being the only one had to be something. That was profound. I mean, I, I really, really thought, you know, I had no idea. Right. I had no idea. And religion to me was very, um, all I, well, I mean, here's what I knew. I had also, the TV was always on in my household. You know, always. It was that buffer zone. It was that only other kind of living entity in my household other than the, the raging alcoholic and, yeah. and, and my grandmother. And uh, they would always have the, the uh, Franco Zeffirelli Jesus of Nazareth miniseries on. It came on every year. Um, around Eastertide. And, uh, you know, this uh, actor, Robert Powell, who was this blue-eyed, Shakespearean-sounding Jesus, you know. <laughs> but I wasn't drawn to the Jesus guy. I was drawn to James Ferentino, who was Peter. <laughs> it was like a Bronx Italian Peter. <laughs> <laughs> New Jersey and, guy. Uh, and the interplay between that Jesus and that Peter, and I resonated with the Peter uh, a, a great deal. So I kind of had that a little bit in my back pocket. And then um, and then I realized, you know, God as I understood God in, in the 12-step group. And then uh, a friend of mine took me to a live production of Jesus Christ Superstar mm. my senior year. Nice. And I went, wait a minute, rock and roll Jesus? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every bit of, you know, screaming at the top of his head, like yeah, all yeah. the music I was listening to. And I said, there's, there's something here. Uh, the upshot of all that was that I, um, I, I made the decision. I had a sociology class in my senior year of high school. And I said, wait a minute, I get this. You know, I grew up, I, I understand ghettos and everything else and that Summit has them. And so it's Northeast Philly. And um, I, I really understood it and because uh, I'd lived it, you know, it was lived experience. And uh, so that was enough for me to go about December of my senior year and say, hey, I'd I think I'd like to go to college. You know, I've been shop tracked or military tracked until then. Hmm. And uh, and, you know, so um, then I became the first one in my family to, to go to college. And about the second week of uh, college, I uh, William Patterson University. I um, I met some uh, a friend who became a good good buddy and and his um, his mom had recommended that we go to work at uh, a Presbyterian camp a PCUSA mm. camp Camp Johnsonburg 
uh, for the summer. And I'm like, well, you know, I haven't really read the Bible, right? Why, <laughs> why would they hire me? Um, but in God's good grace, uh, they did. And I learned very quickly that I loved everything about camp ministry. Yeah. I love to open the lesson plans. I love to teach the plans. I love the diversity and the overall message. Is there any point camp that you back. realize that nobody else has really read the Bible either? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't realize that until I got into uh, parish. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, no, um, but you know the diversity and the overall message that every child is a precious child of God. You know is what I learned through camp, and that that message and the community we tried to build there of not discounting one another, not putting each other down at camp uh, through the, the ministry of Camp Johnsonburg uh, really helped my inner child, and uh, you know. At the same time, I could run and play and teach and counsel mm -hmm. and basically the same toolkit that I still use today. Yeah. Um, and so um, when I graduated, I, I tried being a youth director for a church uh, for a year and realized I, I did not like having teenagers just, you know, for an hour or two a week. Mm -hmm. um, I, I felt a strong pull to minister to the whole family. I had uh, gotten to know an associate pastor at that church where I had my first Alateen meeting, mm -hmm. and uh, she wrote a nice recommendation, and uh, and I became under the care of that church and, and that presbytery, and off uh, to my tremendous surprise was accepted at Princeton Seminary, and 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 off I went. Mm. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. The Center of Addiction and Faith will present a new inspirational story about God's saving work every two weeks. I hope you'll subscribe and listen to them all. Along with these podcasts, the Center of Addiction and Faith is offering many other helpful resources. We have our annual conference that brings together today's best and brightest theologians, speakers, authors, scholars, and practitioners in the field of addiction studies. We also offer a monthly webinar on addiction with a special focus on racial issues. We have a growing number of online 12-step recovery and support groups, some specifically just for clergy. We have training events to develop addiction ministry programs. We support advocacy work. We are developing online education for understanding addiction in the context of doing ministry. We offer daily devotions. There's more we want to offer. After our first two successful conferences, there was overwhelming encouragement that I continue to do more of this work. After a long and prayerful discernment, it became very clear this was God calling. In fact, I've never been more sure about what God wanted me to do. What's also clear to me is that I will need a lot of help to make all this happen and keep it going. I don't like asking for help, but I can't do this alone, and I can't get help if I don't ask. So I'm asking, will you please help me do this work? Will you make a donation? Or better yet, will you make a regular monthly commitment of any size to sustain this work over time? Even small gifts given regularly make all the difference. If your answer is yes, please go to our website, addictioninfaith.com, and click on the Donate button and help me as I work to help others. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. And it was also, you know, 1994, um, I was newly married to the mother of my two amazing, wonderful daughters, uh, one of whom just graduated college, wow. uh, which was just a tremendous joy. And my younger is a junior in college. And, um, but the, the overwhelming stress and anxiety uh, and, and the sense of I'm not worthy of you know, I mean, I was an okay student, but, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. this was a whole nother something. But the good news is um, the, the, the good counseling department over at Princeton University, where they had a, a close relationship, uh, I got a diagnosis of PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not surprising. So and, what, uh, uh, Yeah, because I to... responded to authority by, hit, you know, emotionally hitting the floor. You know? <laughs> right. So you, you, what were you saying about your grades? You, were, you felt like you were not really uh, up to snuff? Is that what you were saying? that it made you, well, you felt like a fraud or, an, or, or, or not like you shouldn't um, be there? I mean, is that what that was? 
it was, I, I really hadn't, I mean, I got through college, okay, um, but I was much more interested in student government and, and activities and things like that. Um, I enjoyed sociology, um, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't that interested in the academic part of things, but I could, I could do well in the classes that, you know, just don't give me any math or science. Right, I, you right. know, um, no. Um, my grandmother would, you know, when I was little, say one plus one and she'd hold up two fingers. And I'm like, it's 11 because <laughs> it looked like 11, right. you know, because that's, that's because how you're I, an artist. <laughs> I'm an artist. You know, that's what I saw. And um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I just wasn't, I was, I'd never had any kind of training for, you know, a uh, master's level, you know, yeah. work. Um, nothing, nothing that rigorous. <laughs> That and, you know, I think you know, from the get-go, there were issues in, in, in my, my first marriage. Uh, ended up, you know, marrying somebody who was well-educated, um, but also had uh, some, some emotional mental health issues, you know, that allowed me to be a, a nice codependent <laughs> for, for many, yeah, many, well, many. So for those listening, uh, codependency is a little bit more challenging to define. What did, what did that mean? I mean, how did that play out in that first marriage? that you were codependent with her? Well, so if um, I relied heavily on her to do a lot of the adulting, <laughs> um, you know, managed bills, you know, doing doing the stuff that I really didn't learn how to do. And at the same time, then, if there was uh, something, she, she had some control kind of issues. And I was always the one who could then step back, take a deep breath, let's analyze this, you know, and kind of explain what was happening. And that was kind of the, uh, you know, in a nutshell, sort of how that went. We were very good parents together. We, had, we were on the same page there. Um, but it wasn't a loving in the way that I, I now know right. loving there and a loving partnership is, which, yeah. you know, I've been blessed to know in the, in the 10 years that I've been with uh, my wife, Stephanie now. So the post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis did mm-hmm. make sense. And that got me on, you know, some, some anti-anxiety stuff, medicine, and forever grateful for that. And I continued doing all my counseling, you know, I just, uh, always had the strength to, to do that. And I would hit, um, you know, Al-Anon meetings or ACA meetings, but ACA, there was a growing adult, disconnect. Uh, ACA is adult children of alcoholics. Correct. Which yeah. is um, like Alateen, but for grownups, right? Correct. Right. But there was a growing disconnect because I, I wasn't comfortable just with steps and principles and, and, and a general higher power. My higher power had a name and, mm. you know, the name is Jesus. So, yeah. I, um, I wasn't as involved there uh, through those years. Plus, I was a young adult singing in a rock band for a brief while and <laughs> doing things like that. So, but again, um, but I did, you know, within my first year or so, kind of typical for college, that's when my resolve not to drink just melted. But I tell you, I went from like, oh, all right, well, I'll try a wine cooler. Mm. And then, you know, faster than I I even can, I can't even recall it was me drinking entire bottles of Bacardi gold by myself. Oh, so you're off to the races from your first drink. I definitely (laughs) had, I mean, you know, there's no, I know there's debate over genetics and everything, but um, I drank to get drunk and I learned that very quickly. And fortunately, it only took me getting blackout drunk uh, one particular horrendous time. For it to scare me straight, and I think it's because I had I had I'd already had the tools of going to a counselor, right. and I had the background, and it, it it all reminded me that I and and it kind of culminated when I visited my mom. I think for Mother's Day, and we were in a bar together. She had fallen, you know, she relapsed, and oh. and I'm and I'm and I'm drinking. You're drinking with her, yeah, yeah. You and know, you're part and, of your uh, brain's going, "What's wrong with this picture?" Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, by the grace of God, was was able to um, you know stop that. <laughs> so you had um, you this know. one massive blackout and um, just said, "That's it, I'm done," and you dropped it and never picked it up. Yeah, again. I mean that was after a lot of other drunken experiences. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, so but what time frame? One, how long did you drink for? What was that? Uh, not surprisingly, it's a little bit, not like a year or so. Okay. Um, you know, it was, it was somewhere in there. I was on the five year college plan. As yeah. A result. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, so, that's unusual for somebody who drinks like that just to stop. So that's amazing. Yeah. Again, another. Um, and, and again, I think it's because I had music. I had my intellect, my ability to write, my ability to uh, kind of self-evolve just by, you know, um, like I understood from an early age that I felt like I was living in a fishbowl, you know. (laughs) And then uh, and then I was seeing counselors, you know, and I was occasionally going to groups. So it's not like it. I, I got to see what was coming for me fairly clearly, even though I'm still surprised to this day that I fell into that. Yeah. Uh, so fast. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I pledged a fraternity and, and oh, that gosh. didn't help. Uh, well, so then I left the fraternity, got involved in student government and, and at the same time was spending my summers at this camp and, um, and, and, and Christ, you know, pulled me, pulled me along and, and out of that. So, yeah. So. Yeah. That's, a, that's uh, what's striking about your stories is, is just really evidence that God somehow has been there. Uh, yeah. I imagine that scene of the you, your you said your childhood a natural belief in God the ladder or hand mm-hmm. coming down from above I that's that's powerful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would I would lay in bed and I would my hand would just go up, and um, you know, it would come down when I fall asleep. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting, and I can't explain it. Uh, and it's not that I was picturing the, the the Jesus of Nazareth actor or even the Jesus Christ superstar Jesus. I just had a deep knowing. And um, so, you know, what I would say, you know, I am definitely was spiritual long before I was religious. Yeah. And by religious, I mean uh, committed to intentional discipling community, you know, intentional community where you uh, grow to, to love and serve others. Um, but I wasn't a stranger to discipling support and community because Alateen had taught wow. me that, you know, that we're there to, to help one another and, and to grow. And, and so, um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, and, you know, so, and I've never had any trouble with alcohol or anything ever since. I stopped smoking. Um, um, I didn't fall into any other, yep. any other behaviors. And, and yet then, you continue uh, like to I do said, 12 step work and that's, that's yeah, on, on and off, but it was the summer camp counseling, you know, and, and just finding my vocation out there. Cause I'm also, I'm also kind of, I guess, because of that, intuitive part of me I'm, I'm i'm deeply contemplative for all my extroversion um it comes across because i also like doing macro photography and so when i'm by myself and it's silent um i feel most connected to god which again it's not surprising mm. that's i needed that bridge that connection uh in the chaos of the household i feel very grateful i was able to to come through that and then yeah. um get employed and mm. served several churches. And then um, when uh, when my kids were, my daughters were 11 and a half and nine, went to a divorce. And that was absolutely one of the, uh, of all the experiences in my life, that was the most painful and scary for yeah, sure. So you guys went, how long married, 11 years or more? It was, I think about 15. Yeah, okay. We did a lot of counseling. Uh, to try and, you know, make things work. And the counseling was effective in, especially she came to realize that I wasn't the person she wanted to stay married to. But, you know, we, we came through that as, as best we could. Uh, it wasn't a nasty sort of thing. And, um, and not long after that, I decided to, you know, try and date, even though that was a, a weird, you know, because <laughs> that was never my strong suit to begin with. <laughs> Blessedly, I, 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 I was honest when I did a Match.com profile, and I was honest that I was a Presbyterian minister and a Phillies fan and a musician and mm. a photographer and all those things. And then, lo and behold, uh, this uh, wonderful person out in Scranton, PA, was also looking around for Presbyterians. And, oh, uh, really? Even though it's two hours away from where I was living, um, that's how we got connected. And her and uh, her son, Crosby, who was about six at the time, is now 17, driving and starting to look at colleges. Yeah. We've had a, a very, a very wonderful and healthy yeah. uh, 
partnership and I love being a clergy couple. Um, it, not because we sit around talking church all the time, right. but because we know when to not talk church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to take our day off together. Yeah. Really well, off. it's, it's obvious to, I mean, others can't see you, but you just light up when you talk about your relationship with your wife. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. great that you well, have nine, nine, nine official years, 10 years together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, life, life in my forties up till now have been, has been really, really, yeah. Uh, not easy, but, but wonderful. And I've got a, a, a church I serve that I, I, I dearly love, uh, as well. Yeah. So. That helps a lot too. So the, how does your, uh, trauma, childhood trauma and adult child issues play out in your life today? Well, one way that it still continues to, to, to play Well, first of all, I don't forget where I came from. You know, um, I have certainly, oh, you know, again, by the grace of God, go, I have overcome yep. any number of things that, that could have gone differently. But there's still a, a distinct characteristic of being an ACA about feeling like you're on the outside looking mm-hmm. in. Uh, so that sort of nagging deep down need to be validated and, you know, am I legit, mm-hmm. you know, despite all my, you know, apparent success, uh, for lack of a, I, I don't know if that's, a, I don't like that word so much, but right. affirmations, you know, yep. Uh, I still sometimes really wrestle with that feeling mm-hmm. like I'm on the outside looking in. But, you know, in the last, through the pandemic, when all the triggers come out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially you take an extrovert like me, uh, mm. who, even though I'm contemplative, I, I get my energy from community. And when all that got suspended, it was, it was lots of triggers there. Mm. But I started getting, uh, I mean, as a pastor, I've certainly been aware of my resources in the neighborhood and recovery communities, et cetera. Um, I've done two funerals of two young men in their 20s um, who died of heroin overdose. And the, uh, the one young man in particular had, had grown up in the church. We had an open casket for him in our sanctuary. He was 20 years old. And we had that the day before my, my, my firstborn daughter turned 20 mm. and the juxtaposition there just, it was in that moment. I said, I've got to do more. I've got to do more than be the pastor who does the funeral, mm. which I will do with my whole heart, but I need to do more advocacy. I need to be more involved. And uh, so I started getting involved and, and volunteered at a, at a um, halfway house and a, uh, outpatient doing they threw me right into intensive outpatient nice nice <laughs> yeah I'm sure I, can well, do this. I bet they were glad to have you i i think so yeah. uh however uh i had these notions of of moving on into a, a drug and alcohol counseling uh training on the side um but way too much to handle at this point yeah. uh coming from burnout and everything so but right now currently i am training to be a certified peer recovery specialist which is a new different kind of approach to things, but I'm looking forward. I'm enjoying the, the training so far and we'll, we'll see what that means. It means I can probably go out and run some groups and, and be involved mm-hmm. and, and do more advocacy work, et cetera. Yeah. So, well, that's amazing. You're called to that and, and want to give back. Yeah, in that it, way. It, 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 it feels good. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, just uh, two days ago I was offered an opportunity to lead a men's recovery retreat as well, oh, no. which uh, very cool uh, was was real special. So, God's well, I you know, know, would think with your musical, around here, your musical and contemplative talent, so you'd make a great retreat leader. I think you could bring a lot to that as a pastor over the years. Um, how much of this have you seen in your parishes? How much of what you described that your own life experience? Um, do you see that in the church and families? Yeah, um, 22 years, and uh, I can count on one hand how many times I've had conversations about addiction and recovery in, in people's households. Um, it's not talked about um, very much. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty open about, you know, dropping in bits and pieces about my, my backstory. Mm. Um, but by and large, n- not a lot that I do in, in, in church life. Uh, yeah. What do you make of that? I mean, isn't that, I find that kind of, I don't know, it's strange. I, I understand it again from a sociological perspective yeah. in terms of the institution of the church and uh, especially what that has meant over the past 40, you know, say 40, 50 years ago. 
it's kind of the difference between you might do a Bible study and, and some people just want to learn the facts and other people really want it to be a formative experience, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's harder to do that formative stuff. <laughs> I also got trained several years ago, right before my divorce, uh, as a spiritual director with Oasis Ministries mm-hmm. uh, as well. So I, I, I do try and nurture that contemplative part. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, it comes across, you know, we're, you know, my congregation is very supportive with our, our mission partnerships and, uh, you know, we, we support all the local services, but not a lot of conversations, not a lot of, Hey, can I talk to you about this that's happening in my home or about my own, you know, concerns about myself? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, not a lot. studies show it's, it's in every family to some degree. And yet, um, the church has not been a place to, to discuss it. It's almost like it has to happen somewhere else. You know, we're, we're good at knowing where the AA meetings and the yeah, NA right, meetings are, right. et cetera. But, you know, I, I want people to know that they can talk to me. Um, yeah. And uh, I know when to put on sort of a more of a chaplain hat or a pastor hat, you know. Yeah. Um, there are little differences in, in yeah, well, when I went into the ministry, I was in recovery already, and I thought, well, I could bring my recovery to my work as a pastor, but found very little opportunity to use it there um, because the right. church is just not a place where people want to talk about it, and it's uncomfortable to talk about there, which is really surprising considering who we follow and the kinds of things um, Jesus did. You know, he kind of pursued those uh, broken places, and yeah. the church seems to be so- afraid of them. <laughs> Someone blessed me with a phrase many, many years ago, and they said, you know, Rich, you, you, you seem to have a heart for the margins. Mm. And and that was a beautiful statement because that that's Jesus to me. I mean, yeah. you know, my male role model, my best friend, my father figure, my brother, my uh, teacher, you know, is is the Jesus I meet in, in the Gospels. Yeah. And um, that Jesus was the Jesus with me in my room all those years, yeah. you know. And, and continues continues to be present and yeah. continues to guide me up and out and feeds my creativity and builds my passion for community building. Do you see that church could be doing more? I mean, how could the church be playing a role in some of this? Well, first of all, just, you know, help it and educate folks about addiction. You know, uh, as much as uh, I forget what year we, you know, everybody started recognizing addiction as a disease. But there's still, in my opinion, a lot of thought that people, you know, who are addicts, um, you know, or have mental health issues are are those people. Yes, right. Those other people. Right. And, you know, I'm not one of those people. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we're still fighting a lot of those. Yeah. Do you suspect those, there's a lot more of those people in our pews than we know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. you know. Yeah, maybe I that's mean, why they're afraid to talk the about years, it. <laughs> I, I can tell you the people I've met that I've had my, you know, wonderings about. Yeah. So that means there's a lot of folks out there living in uh, lives of private desperation uh, that are hurting and uh, aren't dealing with it. Well, and that, that's what's compelling me to, to do the, the additional work that I'm doing right now, because yeah. I, I do want to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years of my career. Um, I really feel like I'm being called back to where I began. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I am in a position where I can, I speak both languages. That's yeah. one of the things I love about our, our, our groups that yeah. uh, I attend through the center. Um, is you know uh, we know church and we know we know recovery yeah. language and, yeah. and it's a it's a joy to have those together. It, it feels very yeah. you know whole and healing yeah. and, and quite wonderful. You know, so where it goes from here, uh, I don't know, but I think that we can certainly and we, and we do need to do more, and we need to not perpetuate that it's just us good Christians over here yeah. helping those right. people. Right. Yes. You know, we need to be able to see those people among us uh, um, and and to recognize that they are us and that we are in this together. I think that's the fearful part of this because it um, because we're implicated in it all. All of us are. Um, we're all we're right. all we're a nation of, of addicts and, and it's just a matter of degree. And 
And Addiction Nation is a very good book. It is a very good book. (laughs) Tim will be thrilled that you mentioned it. He's going to be kind of keynote at the conference. And he's going to be the keynote at the conference this fall. Thank you. You're plugging all our great events. I'm looking forward to being at the conference. I I really cannot wait. I'm so excited. We've had uh, two so far, and we couldn't have it in 220. uh, Really excited to be coming together again this fall. So where can people find your music? You have a website, you said? Yeah, I'm um, I'm hoping to play out more coffee houses and and whatnot and just kind of share because I'm a happier, healthier person when I'm when I'm playing music yeah. uh, and sharing it in community. Uh, but I did create a, a website uh, www.revupmusic.com. Rev up, all one word. R e v u p up music. Revupmusic.com. All right. Um, and um, you know, it's a, a song that I wrote at the beginning of 2021 called limitless love. And it asks the questions about, you know, what do we do now? (laughs) And it was uh, written in a real liminal moment, you know, and um, yeah. So that's, that's been a very, again, music's always been cathartic for me Mm -hmm. and a a vessel of the spirit. Um, And so, uh, yeah, revupmusic.com. Fantastic. Everybody, happy, happy to share. So here is Rich Gelson, Pastor Rich Gelson, and his song, Limitless Love. Thanks, Rich. What do we sing in this New Year's song when the old one keeps breathing on us? Story of Addiction and Grace is a podcast production of the Center of Addiction and Faith, which can be found online at addictionandfaith.com. If you'd like to ask Pastor Ed Treat or one of our pastor upcoming guests a question that will be aired on a future show, simply call 612-352-9177 and leave a message. Please know that when you leave a message, it may be used in whole or in part on a future podcast episode. Again, That phone number is 612-352-9177. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on and rate and review our show. We love to hear feedback. My Story of Addiction and Grace is recorded at the studios of Minnesota Podcasting, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Find them online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Center of Addiction and Faith, Minnesota Podcasting, or any other religious or business organization.